who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast. The fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're discussing War Pigs. No, we're not chatting the classic Black Sabbath jam, but instead the 2015 World War II film. In this one, Dolph plays Captain Hans Picoult, a member of the French Foreign Legion, who teams up with an army lieutenant to train and lead a ragtag team of soldiers to go behind enemy lines and destroy a deadly Nazi weapon. I'm putting together a group of hand-picked men for a, a very special mission, and I need you to lead them. I need you back in the fight. Yeah, the folders on our men. The uh, war pigs. War pigs. Hitler's going to build himself a new super weapon. The vision wants us to go in and find it. Who sent you to spy on us? Let's deep into enemy territories. I know it will be easy to get in or get out. Never is, sir. How's Hitler? Let him in. Died following me. Following my orders. Men died because of your orders, but more men did because of your orders. We're gonna get in, go find it, and we're gonna go home. I'm your host, Sean, and joining me today to discuss this one is Jacob Gustafsson author of the Awful Awesome book series. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me today, man. This is the ultimate pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, and as a side note, uh, I've actually seen uh, Black Sabbath more than once. Uh, so I did I did have the opportunity before they broke up. So uh, as a as a <laughs> as a tangent, um, I, I am a I am a Black Sabbath fan. Is that why you chose this film? Did you think that you were getting into a, a a Black Sabbath documentary that was inexplicably starring Dolph Lundgren, and then you and then you realized, oh crap, it's a low budget World War II film? Is that what happened? And that no, no. I mean, the title definitely uh, piqued my interest, but actually, what really uh, you you gave me a list of films to choose from. And what what really got me was uh, the fact that Chuck Liddell was in it because Chuck Liddell is local. Um, I live in the same county that Chuck Liddell trained and fought and all that stuff. So I thought, hey, I've never seen a movie with Chuck Liddell. I've watched a lot of 
uh, direct-to-video action movies like quite a bit, and uh, somehow his uh, his acting career had never. I had never seen anything that he was in, so I thought, oh, man, Chuck Liddell, and it's got Mickey Rourke and Dolph, man, I'm sold. I was definitely totally on the cast. It was like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be something. If all if all of these guys are in the same movie, I want to see it. So that, that's what sold me on it. Well, and before we dive into the film, I have to ask you, because I'm actually looking at, uh, at one of them right now, um, the awful, awesome book series. I mean, this is really, really cool. I mean, I... First of all, I have the, the utmost respect for anyone who gets uh, a book published because I know that that's just such a long and laborious process. But, I mean, you have put out now what – is it three or four books are published now that we can find on four. Amazon and Barnes there, Noble? Four. Okay. There's four. There's four, yeah. Yeah, um, well, uh, for those that don't know, the, the Awful Awesome book series are – uh, books exclusively dedicated to movies that fall under the category of, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, so bad they're good. Movies like, you know, Miami Connection, Samurai Cop, Troll 2, that kind of stuff. And the reason why I wrote the books was because I, I actually, uh, I went away to college, was was away for about six years living living far away, and I moved back to my general area that I grew up in, but all my friends had moved away and I had been doing video editing from home and realized, you know, I'm not going to meet anybody. Like all my friends moved away. I would like to have a social circle. Uh, and here I'm working from home. So of course I can't necessarily meet anybody. And I live in a small town and there's not really anything going on. So, um, there was a local coffee shop nearby that had a movie night. I attended it, but it wasn't my kind of thing. And so, I asked them if I could have my own movie night and the whole intent was to show like, you know, terribly hilarious, ridiculous cult films and meet people. Um, I figured, well, if you, if you'll show up to something like that, you must be a fun person. And the whole intent was to just essentially set a trap to make friends. And it worked. I, I met a lot of people, uh, people that I'm still friends with, uh, uh, to this day, we get together all the time. In fact, just this past weekend, we watched Thunder Warrior 2, which was ridiculous. And um, I, I started realizing, you know, nobody has written any books ex- exclusively about these types of films, like with the intent of encouraging people to watch them. You know, the the, the idea behind the book was it, it's a great way to spend time with friends to stay connected to your friends and to meet new friends. And it's not, the, the books are not in any way a discouragement. In fact, they, they're a celebration of these types of films, of these strange films made by people living who knows where, who just decided to pick up a video camera and, and make a film. And so uh, I, I just decided this would be like, you know, here I'm watching all these movies. I might as well review them because at the time they were very, cult like very very rare uh, you might find a review f- of like you know samurai cop in a in an action book but the book wouldn't be dedicated specifically to that type of action films and so that's what these are um i have four volumes out right now there's two volumes of horror so it's nothing but low budget bottom of the barrel made by very unique people type films, like I said, like Troll 2 and things like that. I also have one volume of sci-fi and one volume of action. Uh, and I have the the next volumes of sci-fi and action. I'll, I should be able to get those out probably sometime in 2023. And I'm also working on volume three. And each book has uh, 
about uh, 100 reviews, a little over 100 reviews in each of them. So at this point, I've, I've published over 400 reviews in these books. And they also include, like, how to have a movie night with your friends so that, like, they'll come back again. Um, how What to look for in these types of films, what actors are, like, bonafide uh which directors which which studios and so there's a there's the whole point is to just i really want people to get together and watch these films and have as much fun as i have because connection is really important in today's world well we spend a lot of time online and we don't spend a lot of time with other people in the same room and i feel like film is a very unifying art form uh, people from all different walks of life can can sit down and have an absolute blast watching a movie. And if you've got a really good sense of humor, then, you know, sitting down and watching Miami Connection with all your friends is just so much fun. I mean, I've never had so much fun in my life uh, watching these movies. And so that's that's the reason why I've published the books and why I continue to publish them is to help people find the good ones and also let them know which ones are really boring or which ones are like really sleazy so that you're aware, like, you know, you're not going to watch this with your mom. Right. Or if you, (laughs) if you do, you you at least know what you're going into. Like, Oh yeah, this one has all kinds of strippers in it. Or this one has, you know, um, uh, sexual assault, which is like an, an instant, like fun killer. Right. So like you need to know before you watch these films, what you're getting into so that you don't offend your, your, your mixed company that you may have assembled to watch the movie. So it's just, it's, they're, they're really just a celebration of films that do not get celebrated elsewhere. Well, I mean, and before we, I mean, cause I was actually saving it. I was, I will save it for the end, but I'm curious if the film we're discussing today, war pigs, if this particular film um, would fall within the, 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 categories, I guess, that you've established with Awful Awesome. But, you know, I will say um, the, the copy of the, the book that I have is on action films, okay? And I, I have to give you major props because I just love the formatting of these books. Anybody who's coming in, I think, should know you do a wonderful job where you – do not spoil each of the films, but you give just a little bit. You give a little bit of uh, a taste, I guess, if you will, with regard to each uh, with each film, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so if you open up the book, that's one of the things I love about it is as you open it up on the left-hand side is going to be the picture, the, the VHS box art. And then on the right-hand side is going to be a one-page um, uh, review or um, summary or analysis, if you will, of that particular film. And you never go over a page. That's what I think is, is beautiful about it. You never go over a page. It's almost like every single um, right-hand right hand side of the book, if you will, is all within a, a certain word count. I'm, I'm assuming that had to be a, uh, a, a conscious and legitimate effort on your behalf, right? Yeah, it was. Um, some of the reviews were quite a bit longer and I decided just to keep everything neat and tidy that it would be best if it was just a page. And, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth in my head about, you know, did I do the right thing? Did I cut something out of the review that would have made it more enjoyable to read or more informative? Generally, I, I cut down like the summary. Like if my summary is too lengthy, I try to cut that down if I'm going to cut somewhere. But it was, and and that's really part of the fun of these movies is is the art, right? The art that went with it is so much fun, and I so I definitely wanted to make sure to include that because there a lot of them have amazing poster art, but you know maybe some of them are boring. Like despite the awesome art. 
they're not really worth your time. And then other ones may have mediocre art and they are a slam dunk for fun. So I wanted to, I wanted to include the, the visuals with it as well. I, I always like to look at poster art and especially uh, for films like, like, like I cover in the awful awesome action book. I just really feel like some of them are just, Oh my gosh, I'd love to have them on my wall. They're just, they're so awesome. Well, especially, I mean, I'm not going to let this one go, but uh, one of the films in there that, <laughs> that I do have to mention is um, Skyscraper. I mean, anybody, any, anybody who's curious about the type of films that, you know, are covered in the action volume of the Awful Awesome series, um, you, uh, you give credit to the film Skyscraper, which starred the, uh, the late Anna Nicole Smith, and she is what a helicopter pilot who tries to foil a uh, a terrorist uh, takeover yes. inside a skyscraper building. It needs to be seen. Well, I guess depending on who you're talking to, but I think it is so just absolutely bizarre that that movie even got greenlit. But it, it, it yes. in a weird way, it's kind of like you said, it's awful awesome. You you have to see it to to believe it. I guess. Yeah, that was one of, I believe, two films. Uh, the other one is To the Limit, which also has Anna Nicole Smith. To the Limit has uh, John Travolta's older brother in it, uh, which is weird. Uh, and and she has um, very uh, graphic sex scenes with uh, several of the male actors in To the Limit, and they're all, like, old, like all of them. So it's very strange. But, yes, uh, put up by PM Entertainment, which uh, PM Entertainment throughout the 90s made some amazing over-the-top, like stunt-filled, explosion-filled, just wonderful, awesome, super fun movies, and that is one of them. Um, uh, Why they make her, like... It's basically Die Hard, and she's a helicopter pilot. And, um, yeah, uh, that, that is definitely a fun one. Well, okay, let's let's look at this film. Let's get to this film. I mean, this is the one that uh, that, that you signed up for when I – I mean, I, I know I gave you a list, Jacob, that, uh, that was a real yes. Sophie's choice. You didn't know which one to pick. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes. before we get to War Pigs, I'm curious, your, your thoughts on Mr. Dolph Lundgren. Where, where is he always ranked for you in the, uh, in the pantheon oh. of uh, action heroes and action cinema? So when I was a kid, I distinctly remember being really, really into Dolph Lundgren. Like, I loved Dolph when I was a kid. Back in the VHS days, uh, I grew up in the 90s. Um, and so that was that was the VHS action boom era. And I distinctly remember going to the video stores in my area and and intentionally trying to rent every single Dolph Lundgren movie I could find for for like a couple of years. I watched like everything and, uh, and I'm, and I honestly, I don't really know why. I don't know what I saw him in that, that like clicked in my head that I was like, I have to watch every single Dolph Lundgren movie. Um, so like, I've always had a soft spot for Dolph. I really have for a while. I ignored what he was putting out. And, um, in the last few years, I've definitely got gotten back into watching his, his more recent releases. However, I have in no way kept up with his output. He has been cranking them out. So it seems like for every one I watch, he's already put out like three more or something. It's like him and Scott Atkins are just, just really, really 
getting them out. In fact, the movie that he did recently with Scott Atkins that he directed, that Dolph directed, was pretty good. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, Cassie you and I were talking. Yeah, yeah, you and I were talking about this offline, but it's it's really amazing. I have quite a few theories about this, which we don't have to get into. I've kind of um, elaborated upon it in uh, previous episodes, but I mean, you know, the, the market as we know it, the direct-to-video market, has changed considerably from the 90s. So back in the 90s, when Dolph was able to capitalize on the direct-to-video market, he was able to get by with maybe one, sometimes two movies a year. But for the most part, he did about one movie a year. Nowadays, it's flipped. Okay, nowadays, it seems like he's doing, I mean, there's, I mean, if you look at his, uh, if you go on IMDb, there's some years where he's done like five or six movies a year. And I think the big reason for this is because the market has completely changed to where it was back in the 90s, early 2000s, these small direct-to-video films were being made with still fairly hefty budgets, okay, you know, between right. 12 to 20 million. Nowadays, these things are being, because everything now is streaming, okay, and I've said this before on the show, we kind of have ourselves to blame in a lot of ways, you know, we, we love to consume our content by, um, by means of streaming. So now, the fact that everything is going to streaming these productions really don't have much to work with. So a guy like Dolph, okay, uh, you know, Wesley Snipes is another one, Steven Seagal, all these dudes who were used to at one time making films for, you know, um, in the double digits or so of, of millions are now these films are getting made. It's like they're literally they're scraping them together and they're being made for barely a couple million. And I think that kind of helps explain not just Dolph's prolific output, but also why a lot of these films kind of, I mean, let's just say it, a lot of them kind of look a little chintzy. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. the, the, the fact that people, I mean, back in the day, there was all the blockbusters, all the Hollywood videos and all the mom and pops that were buying DVDs or VHS before that. And they were charging a lot of money for every one. But it was a good investment because then they were able to rent them out quite a bit and they'll make their money back fast. And then you have obviously Netflix DVD like that was like a boon. But then it it eventually killed all the all the different uh, platforms. And then now we have exclusively streaming. And what's interesting is a lot of these Dolph movies and a lot of these uh, action guys, their films are not going to Netflix. They're not going to Hulu. I mean, in some cases they do, but for the most part, they're going to a different model, um, which is uh, AVOD, uh, which is advertising video on demand. And so things like uh, Tubi, uh, Tubi, services yeah. like services like that, and and that's a volume game. I have a friend who uh, actually acts and directs and produces these really low budget movies that end up on Tubi, and he was telling me that in order for Tubi to be interested, you have to produce a certain amount of films every year if you are a director or if you're an actor or if you're a, a little studio like a little independent studio they're looking for volume they're looking for quantity and so in order to to continue to be um uh for them to continue to pick up your films you have to be able to offer them a lot what they want is a lot they don't necessarily want quality they want quantity which is interesting in order to um have you know tons and tons of stuff on their on their site because that's how they're winning against something like like Netflix is by having more content than someone else and then they get the advertising through their their ads in there so 
this, the, this friend of mine, he, he works for a, um, a producer and he said, Oh yeah, we're having to like shoot a movie in just a couple of days and then turn right around and make another one and make another one and make another one. And they're just like, they're churning them out super quick because that's the only way to get them interested. <laughs> like you have yeah. to, they're, they're, they're looking to buy volume. So, um, that's, that's also where, where it's going as well. So, um, you know, and if people aren't buying DVDs, that's a major revenue source that's gone and the streaming services just don't, um, compensate as well. My buddy who also has stuff on Amazon, he was selling, he was telling me how laughable and terrible the Amazon, like Amazon prime, like the amount of money that an independent filmmaker gets from having their film on Amazon prime is ludicrous. It's like almost nothing. And so that's, and Tubi pays out better. So that's why all these, uh, like, you know, silly shark movies and stuff that used to live on Amazon have jumped over to Tubi because Tubi, so that's kind of where the market is going to is like, who's going to pay out best for these films. And some of the models are based off of like, how long do you, does, does the user watch your film? And that's how you make your money. Um, uh, like that, that's part of it. Or whether or not someone watched the whole film, you get money. Like there's all these different pay schemes. So it's, it, you know, it's the wild west right now. So I think he's probably, and not only that, but someone like Dolph, I mean, frankly, He's getting up there in age. A lot of these guys are getting way up there in age. And so they, I think to a degree, uh, they know that the, the end is right around the corner. You right. know, like they can't, they can't necessarily, if, if your whole thing is, I know how to fight. I'm not the best actor, but I know how to fight. When your body gives out, what do you have? Right. No, I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, and it's just, I mean, I like what you said because you literally stole the words out of my mouth. Nowadays, it's all about quantity over quality. And it yeah. really it really is a shame. But, um, you know, I mean, looking at this particular film, I'm curious, one of the, before we really get into it, I have to ask, I am, I mean, I'll, I'll be upfront and honest, I am not too caught up on World War II trivia and accuracy. So unfortunately, I am the furthest thing from an expert on this particular period in history. So me personally, I'm just purely going to be looking at this solely as a film, not so much for uh, historical accuracies. But are you are you a fan of World War II set films and epics and things of that nature? It act not really. It's not a huge draw for me okay. to be honest with you. And I was <laughs> okay. I was actually think I was actually thinking about this today. It's like back in the day, back when these films were new, like they were made during during World War II as propaganda to get people to sign up for world to to fight. And then they continued to make make World War II movies in order to get people to to join Korea. And we still see World War II movies being made today as essentially propaganda to like join the military. Not that there's anything wrong with joining the military. I don't think there is at all. In fact, I encourage, I'm a teacher. I encourage my students to do that. That's a good, it's a really good step for a lot of people, but it is what it is. I mean, it is definitely heroic, like, you know, the honor and glory of war. And the weird thing is now, I mean, world war two was 80 years ago, almost right. So, or it was, it was 80 years ago. So at this point, we don't really have any World War II vets left. Like, there's there's a right. few that are very very elderly, um, and then like my parents did not serve in World War II. My parents are like are 
a little bit too young for Vietnam. Like they were right around that age. Um, and so it was like me, my grandparents that served, but my grandparents have passed for a long time. So now we're entering, the, entering this weird era where there's like, there's nobody alive that's kind of keeping the World War II banner going. We don't have any veterans, and yet we're still making films specifically about this era. I find it interesting that we're doing that. We're not making, like, Gulf War movies, right? Like, we're not cranking those out. Um, we're still, 80 years later, making World War II films. Uh, I find that it's almost like it's its own its own genre in and of itself is the World War II film. Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I was I was actually going to go into a little bit of the uh, production, just a brief bit. So, um, first of all, this was directed by Ryan Little, who's actually done quite a few World War II set films. Um, he also did a, a small little film from 2008 uh, called Forever Strong, which is about a teenage rugby team. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but uh, no, that one's, yeah, that one's actually it's you know what I mean. It is what it is. It's it's a little bit of Rudy, if you will, but it's actually not terrible. Um, and it was written by friend of the show, Stephen Luke, who I actually had the pleasure of speaking with in a previous episode. And this guy has a fantastic story, okay? He's a huge history buff, okay, particularly the World War II era. So he's made a living providing World War II props to various productions, both film, television, mm. theater, etc. cetera. Um, this particular film, War Pigs, was actually his very first feature-length film, and he also has a bit role in the movie. He plays one of the, one of the quote-unquote war pigs, if you will, but he plays the soldier named Preacher. But you, you, you said a couple things. Oh, no things kidding. That, yeah, yeah, he plays Preacher. So, but, you know, you, you said a couple things that I think definitely – lend itself wonderfully to this discussion is, okay, why are these films still made? And I think it's the equivalent. And if I'm speaking out of turn here, but I, 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 I th- I'm pretty sure that this is what's going on. You have these various prop warehouses, okay. That um, need to get utilized, if you will. And so I think when you go to one of these, uh, one of these warehouses, if you will, and you rent their products, you can pretty much film a movie um, like this one over the course of maybe a weekend or two, and then return all the equipment and, you know, uh, get your money back, reap the benefits from the foreign sales that the film is going to get. And I think that's kind of what's happening here with War Pigs. You're going in um, and not only are you renting the two tanks that they have available, but it's also going to come with all of the various uniforms and uh, weapons and helmets and everything. It's pretty much a, a, a surplus, if you will. Yeah, and I, I got to hand it to this movie. That was one of my notes was I was really impressed with the uniforms, with the props, the tanks, and the number of extras in the film. I mean, again, this is a this is a pretty low-budget movie, so I was expecting it to pretty much be this men on a mission and then a few Nazis and, like, that's it. But there's actually a fair number of extras. They go to a military base where there's a whole lot of extras – and they had to have uniforms for all those people. They had to have props for all those actors. And so I feel like the scale and the scope of the film was uh, actually a lot bigger than I was expecting. I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's a inexpensive, it's a low budget, uh, direct to video movie, but it was far and away much better looking than I was expecting. Oh, you know that that's actually one of the best things that I can say about this film is this particular film, it has its heart in the right place. Okay. I mean, it is, it's desperately, 
trying to be on the same level as like a, a Saving Private Ryan or a, a Hacksaw Ridge or a Kelly's Heroes. You know, I mean, those huge uh, uh, big budget World War II epic films. Okay, that's, I think, what it's trying. And I think everybody on this film is is working their butt off, okay, in, in trying to make it look better than what it is. I think one of the, the big issues with this film, in, in my opinion, is the fact that it's not filmed in Europe. Now, I'm not saying that, it, that all World War II films need to be filmed in Europe, okay? I think Hacksaw Ridge, uh, many of the scenes in that were filmed in... Uh, in uh, off of Australia, if I'm not mistaken. But I think when you're going to that period in history and you're trying to film it, I think Europe just has such a, uh, a richer texture, if you will, to kind of sell the fact that, okay, this is the 1940s. This is World War II. Instead, this film was filmed in Utah. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, like I said, the production is trying, but try as they might, the forests of Utah just do not resemble that World War II setting that, uh, that, that I feel is needed, especially, I, I don't know if you noticed this either, but especially under the lenses of high-definition cameras. I don't think that uh, the high-definition high cameras excuse me, do this film a lot of favors in the long run. It, it, you know, I mean, I, yes, of course. I mean, you look at it and you're like, all right, look, this is clearly shot in the United States, but it didn't take me out of it because most no. of the film is in the middle of an anonymous forest. There aren't like, there isn't that much there other than the forest. And, eh, you know, our forests don't look that different. I mean, yes, they're like, it's like a lot of pine trees, which kind of screams North America. Uh, I, I will say that this film does a much better job of looking like the uh, European battlefront than many direct-to-video movies of the 80s that were trying to tell me that, like, Georgia is Vietnam. Right. You know, like, it's just like, okay, with way different forests, uh, this in no way resembles uh, Vietnam. So I will say that uh, it, it, it did it did do a better job um, uh, of of trying to look like uh, World War Two, And, and you know, you, you made a good point. I felt watching this, I was like, okay, this, this could be super boring. And it really hinges on the performances of the actors. Like that's really going to determine whether or not, because it's a men on a mission. Like you said, it's like Kelly's heroes or the dirty dozen. It really, it really hinges on their performances more than anything else. And I really feel like while most of the squad is fairly generic, everybody's trying really hard. Right. You could tell, like you could tell that, that like Dolph, despite, (laughs) despite his accent, uh, he is trying, like he's endearing, like he's, he's charming. Um, and, and all of the actors in the film I found to be like, wow, you know, like I'm, I'm engaging with them. I wish that the squad had like, uh, I wish the squad members had more character, like something to make them very different from the other squad members. They're fairly anonymous, but all the actors are, are really trying to put out a quality product despite like even Mickey Rourke, right? Mickey mm-hmm. Rourke, who's like doing the, the quintessential, like I said, I was chatting with you with the quintessential, I'm going to sit in a chair and deliver lines role. Uh, he still brings the thunder. He's still, he's still engaging. It's like, wow, he's still got it. He, he may look like uh, a Dick Tracy character with his bizarre, like, I don't know if he had like dental work, but his but his like mouth was really puffy. Like it looked like yeah. maybe he had gone to the dentist or something. 
um, and his in his like silly long hair that he clearly wasn't willing to cut for the movie, and his cowboy hat. Um, but he's still like engaging. Like every time he's on camera, he held my attention. Like he's still he's still got the acting chops for sure. No, I mean I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was an excellent segue. Yeah, um, Mickey Rourke is in this particular film. He's really only in three scenes of this film, and I think the big elephant in the room that we can just address. He is wearing a very uh, not era appropriate outfit. He has the cowboy hat. He also walks with a cane for whatever reason. But I think on a production like this, I mean, this is Mickey Rourke. Okay. And I was, you know, I was going to say it with regard to Chuck Liddell, we'll get to him here in a minute, but I think with a lot of these actors, okay, you're, you're not really hiring them. Well, I guess you could say you're hiring them for their acting talents and their abilities, but they're almost, they almost feel like commodities, in a sense. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like oh, you're, sure. you're hiring this actor as a commodity who is only going to be there for a couple days and is going to, um, you know, help, help grease the wheels, get the movie made and get the foreign sales. And with regard to Mickey Rourke, I mean, yeah, this dude is an Oscar nominated actor for crying out loud. So I feel like an actor like that, he comes on set. Look, he knows that it's a low budget production. He knows that he's really only going to be there for three days. And this is something that Stephen Luke told me when I, when I interviewed him and spoke to him, he flat out said, look, Mickey came on set and Mickey flat out said, yes, I am wearing this cowboy hat. I'm going to walk with this cane. I'm going to have my shirt unbuttoned. What are you going to do about it? And I think, I think, I think they were just happy to get him on set because it's Mickey Rourke. And these were Stephen Luke's exact words. They were just happy to get him in costume. So having said all that, I know this is kind of a long tangent, but having said all of that, you watch him in the in the film as uh, Colonel A.J. Redding. He's the one who, who sets up the mission, that sends the war pigs on their mission. When he walks in the film, in a weird way, as ridiculous as he looks, you buy him as being this no-nonsense colonel who doesn't take shit from anyone. You know what I mean? Soldier, you know how to lead men. You know how to lead men when it hits the fan. I'm putting together a, a group of hand-picked men for a, for a very special mission. And I need you to lead them. Respectfully, I think you have the wrong man, sir. No, soldier, I got the right man. And I ain't got nobody else. Lieutenant Wilczek, this is uh, Captain Picoult of the French Foreign Legion. The colonel has told me all about you. I look forward to fighting together. Can I ask why me, sir? Why not you, soldier? I need you. I need you back in the fight. And not everybody deserves a second chance. Right. No, he's he definitely still has the gravitas. I mean, and and the and the we get this person for one day and we're going to shoot the heck out of him for that day. That that policy, that procedure, I mean, that goes way back in Hollywood. 
You know, there was there th- that's been going on for decade after decade after decade. You're working on a lower budget movie. You need to sell this movie. You need to have a face for a poster. You don't have much money, so you're going to get an aging actor who, uh, for whatever reason, isn't getting the roles in big movies anymore. And so you're going to hire them, slap their face on the poster, and now suddenly people will buy your movie. And and that's exactly what they did here. Um, oftentimes back in the day, it was like somebody got blacklisted because they had like alcohol problems, right? And so they were unreliable. And so, you know, major studios wouldn't hire them anymore. So like a guy like Jack Palance, he's one of them who like he couldn't get work for a long time. And so he had to make like low budget horror movies and he'd show up for a day and do his thing and then go home. And it really wasn't until he did something like, um, Oh, what was the, what was the movie he did with Billy Crystal back in the nineties? The, the Western it, 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 sometimes these people fall out of favor because they're notoriously difficult to work with. And so everyone's like, Oh, forget it. Don't even bother. And so then they have to work on these low budget movies. I don't know what Mickey's issue is. Who knows, but he owns it. He comes in and like, I was shocked. I was like, man, I haven't seen Mickey Rourke in anything in a long time. And yeah, he looks ridiculous, but you're right. You just, you buy it. You just buy it. He just has like, he just can, he has that persona and maybe he was like in a bad mood or something. And that lent itself to his like no nonsense attitude that his character was supposed to have. But, um, you know, and I, I have to say, okay, so you mentioned Chuck Liddell, like I said, Chuck Liddell's local. I've never met the guy. I've never seen the guy, but he is local. Um, I somewhat followed his UFC career and was excited that a local guy was so dominant. And I happened to have his autobiography that he wrote back in 2007. Um, I got it like at a library book sale for like a quarter or something. And I was like, Oh, well, Hey, I'll read that in preparation for this movie. Cause Chuck Liddell is a star of this movie. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this book so that I'm prepared to discuss Chuck Liddell. Dude is only in the movie for five minutes, probably not oh, yeah. even five minutes. <clears throat> I was so disappointed. He has like two lines and that's the whole thing. And I'm like, Oh, are you kidding me? I wrote, I yeah. read this whole book. Yeah. You, no, I mean, but yet it's his face on the poster kind of going back to what we talked about. Okay. Nowadays. Um, I mean, I, I like what you said about the, how this isn't really a new, um, I guess it feels new to us because we grew up with actors like Bruce Willis and Nicolas Cage and Dolph Lundgren and everything like that. So when we see him and then we feel the bait and switch, it kind of hurts a bit, but no, you're exactly right. This has been going on for a while, but yeah, I mean, this is the world of low budget direct to video filmmaking. Okay. Um, These older action stars are names in the industry, but like I said, they're commodities that kind of help get the film made. And speaking with uh, Stephen Luke, yeah, it was once Dolph hopped on board this film, his name and presence really helped get it made because his name still has quite a bit of cachet to it. And so once he stepped on board, yeah, then they got Mickey Rourke. Then they got Chuck Liddell. And I think with Chuck Liddell, I don't know what was going on there. If maybe they realized that his acting maybe wasn't up to par with, with what they were hoping, but yeah, he literally leaves the film after barely five minutes, despite his name and face firmly being on the cover. I guess the one kind of saving grace with it though, is that character's death isn't completely throwaway because it does give the main character. Okay. We haven't talked about him yet, but Luke Goss is the main character in this film. His death gives um, Luke Goss's character, who's Captain Jack Wozick, 
a some real drive because what uh, uh, Luke Goss, his, his character feels that he was responsible for the death of Chuck Liddell and he's been court-martialed for it. And so he's, uh, he's really grieving over it. And what this is doing, I mean, we've seen this type of character archetype before. Okay, he's the reluctant hero who... We're hoping is eventually going to find redemption by the end of the film. I mean, anyone who's seen Cliffhanger knows this type of uh, <laughs> character right. arc here. But that's it, that's basically what's going on. It's nothing new, but it's still satisfying, right? You know, you know, it j- just like the hero's journey, you've seen it a thousand bajillion times. It's still satisfying, like or a coming of age story still satisfying like there's just something satisfying you're right about the reluctant hero with like a tarnished past trying to make good and it you know it, it resonates and luke goss does a great job in the movie i mean he's he's basically like trying to do clint eastwood but he i think he does a pretty good job um i enjoyed his performance and 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 after after chuck liddell ate it at the beginning i was like oh no this Dolph role is going to be a walk-on and and Mickey Rourke, like I was like, oh no, Mickey Rourke and Chuck Liddell are both like we we filmed them in one day, and I was so like concerned that I was going to be left with a bunch of actors that I wasn't familiar with, and that Dolph was going to be like say a few lines, and then he was going to be out of the movie. Not the case. He's in the entire film, and uh, he's quite enjoyable in the film. Uh, I I enjoyed his presence. Uh, I have no idea, like, why he's ch- trying to do a French accent because he's he's part of the French Foreign Legion, right? The Foreign Legion is made up of foreigners. Like, why couldn't he just speak with a Swedish accent and be like, "Yeah, you know, I was conscri- like, I joined the Legion. I'm a legionnaire. I joined the the French Foreign Legion, uh, right? Am I wrong? Isn't that no, the way you, the you're exactly right. I mean, so there's a couple things to, to unpack here. His character gives this long monologue. So, I mean, we're introduced. I mean, let's back up a bit before we get to that, okay? Because so Luke Goss, he is tasked by Mickey Rourke's character, okay, um, at, a, at a shot at redemption, if you will. Um, he's tasked with uh, uh, teaming up with uh, with Dolph Lundgren's uh, Hans Picoult character, who's this member of the French Foreign Legion. But the two of them are to train a group of rebellious soldiers who are known as the War Pigs. Why they're called the War Pigs or, you know, how they've adopted this particular moniker is never mentioned. The film doesn't bother really explaining this, but, you know, we'll get to that. Um, but their mission is to go behind enemy lines and get intel on a weapon that is being developed by the Nazis that supposedly has the ability to level an entire city. Great premise there. That works. With regard to Dolph's character, okay, so... His character, is, his name is Pakal, like we said. He gets this monologue where he says that he's German-born, but he defected to the French Foreign Legion or, or something. I mean, it's, it's really kind of muddled a bit. And, I mean, granted, there are some fun character touches here. I mean, he looks really cool in that French Foreign Legion outfit. But his, oh, yeah. accent, his accent wavers so much back and forth. It teeters between German, then back to French. He'll throw in a merci every now and again to kind of remind you that it's French. And then he goes back to English. And I don't know if that was the idea or not. I I just, I feel like you would, I don't know. Maybe that was, maybe that's how they got him. And he was like, all right, look, 
look, I'll do this if I get to do an accent because I, I think doing an accent will be an interesting challenge as an actor or maybe he thought it would be fun. I don't know, but it is like one of the worst accents I think I've ever heard ever. Like it's it's like really, really bad, like embarrassingly bad. And yet he's still charming. Like, well, and yeah. Like his performance is still charming. I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed him. Like once I got over the fact that it was a really bad accent, like I just sort of got over it. I was like, okay, whatever. Like it's a bad accent. I still enjoy Dolph. The camera loves him. It seems like the older Dolph gets, the more interesting he is to look at. Like his face is is getting – yeah, like like back in the day, like back in the eighties, he like he kind of looked plasticky or something when he was young. And now that he's now he's getting like craggy and rugged, and you know he's still got his hair. And I don't know, he's he he just seems to look better the older he gets and more interesting. And his comfort in front of the camera seems to increase as well. Like he just seems to be getting more and more comfortable as an actor and in front of the camera. And despite the fact that this is a terrible accent, there's something endearing about it. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. as hilariously bad as it is, it, I found it. Um, I liked it. I don't know. Well, it's very, I mean, I think the accent right there is one of the pieces of evidence that you could use in, in showing how this is a low budget production. I mean, I remember when Creed two went in production. Okay. Now Creed two was a huge, big budget, you know, uh, Thanksgiving release that came out in 2018. So it's really not fair to compare War Pigs to that one. But if you look at Creed 2, I remember when that was in pre-production, there were videos of Dolph um, working with a dialect coach, working with a with a coach who was, you know, teaching him Russian phrases, how to do a Russian accent, you know, all of that. So if this film was bigger and if it had more resources and more shooting time, then I'd be willing to bet. I mean, Dolph is, he's a guy, everyone who I've spoken to. And I mean, it's very evident in a lot of his films. I mean, when he shows up, he, he, he shows up to play. I mean, he, he, he's there and he gives it his all. But I think with this particular film, it was a matter of Dolph had to get his accent to some kind of acceptability, I guess, because filming was going to start in about a day. I mean, that's one thing I think that we keep coming back to is these films are shot so quickly and so under the gun that I think Dolph was hired and it was like, okay, look, the the equipment, the props, everything are being shipped off to Utah. We got to get this thing going. Okay. We got to start filming tomorrow and it needs to be finished by the end of next week. Now, I, and maybe I'm, I'm speaking a little smugly, but I think that the tightness is, is pretty, is evident there. You know what I mean? I just don't understand why. Okay. So you got Dolph. And he's the guy on the on the poster. He's the reason why someone's going to watch this movie. He's the one that helped you get financing, right? And then he starts laying out this accent. Why? I mean, maybe, maybe the director did try, but why wouldn't you pull him aside and say, okay, uh, you know, I don't, don't want to hurt do your it. feelings. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to hurt your feelings because you could still, like, kick my ass. But I just want to point out that it's it doesn't it may sound right to you it doesn't sound right to me how about we change your character's name because what the hell it's a low budget movie and why don't you just play a a swedish guy who's in the french foreign legion and just pull a swedish accent i mean he's dropped his accent he doesn't really have one 
but don't tell me he can't mimic one really easily. Like he totally, I'm sure he a hundred percent can. I mean, for crying out loud, that's where he's from. Right. So it's like, why not? Why not just change? I mean, he's French foreign legion. He could be anything. So just let's, right. let's just, let's not have you do that because you're kind of embarrassing yourself. And I don't want anyone to like make fun of you because I, I respect you. So let's just change this a little bit. Oh, or was it just like, well, if I don't get to pull this accent, I don't want to do the movie. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't it's, know. It, it, it's, it's really, really bad. I'm, I'm struggling to think of another accent that was, is like worse than this. Like it's, it's bad. Like I can't even think the only type of accent I could even consider thinking is as bad as this would, would be someone who's intentionally trying to do a bad accent. Right, like well, a I mean, comedy. Yeah, work. like yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all, at all. Like it's bad. Like he speaks normally, Dolph, the way Dolph speaks. Like, but he'll just throw some flavor on like one word. Like there's there's no accent, and then all of a sudden he pronounces one word with a questionable accent, and then we're on to another sentence, no accent, and then maybe the last word he throws in something. I'd hate to think, but I mean, you bring up a good point. I'd hate to think that when the cameras started rolling, Mickey Rourke showed up to set and he said, I'm wearing my cowboy hat. What are you going to do about it? And then they looked at Dolph and Dolph said, you know, well, if he gets to wear a cowboy hat, then I get to wear an accent. What are you guys going to do about (laughs) it? I I helped get this movie made. You know what I mean? Like, I'd hate to think it went down that road, but, but yeah, no, you're exactly right. It is distracting. I mean, and if you look at the film, I mean, We've already kind of mentioned it. I mean, but it's a tried and true men on a mission movie. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a film where you have the two the two old grizzled guys are um are, are training a group of, uh, of of younger soldiers, if you will. However, it's like I said, it, it first of all, we're never really told why they're known as the war pigs. It's also never really entirely made clear why the war pigs are deemed the best fit for the mission, uh, you know, for this mission here. I mean, it's right. six guys. Three of them get speaking parts. The other three don't. None of them, you already said it, none of them are really very memorable. And we're told, okay, in a, you know, through some exposition from Mickey Rourke's character, we're told that they're rebellious and they don't follow our orders you know, from their superiors. Yet, I don't know if you picked up on this, other than a few sarcastic remarks that they make, they seem like any other type of soldiers that we've seen in, in any World War II film. You know what I mean? They, 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 they don't seem different or any more rebellious than anything I saw. And I know I keep citing Hacksaw Ridge because I did watch that one, you know, a, a couple months back. But they don't seem any different from anything I've seen in any other World War II movie. Well, they, they come off as petulant. They don't come off as, like, intimidating or, uh, like, oh, man, how am I going to get these guys? It's They, they seem more like ill-behaved young adults or, or, or like teenagers who are like, I don't want to do that. And then they're like, no, but you're going to do it. All right. I guess I'll do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's not, there's pushback, but when push comes to shove, they get in line. And then you're right. There's no particular expertise. It's not like in the other, like it, like in the dirty dozen or these other films where like they're assembling a squad and they all have their expertise. Like, well, this guy's the demolitions guy and this guy can pick all the locks and this guy can drive anything that's got wheels. Like you don't like, there's none of that at all. No, like it's no, just, it's just, it, it's just like, I'm the young guy who doesn't know anything. 
oh yeah, well I'm the guy who's the ringleader who doesn't like anything, and this guy's a preacher, even though he never does anything to suggest that he's in any way a member of the clergy. He's not a chaplain. He never mentioned he never mentions God. He doesn't wear a cross. Like there's nothing other than the fact that he's, he's that's just his arbitrary name. There's nothing that would indicate why they would call him preacher or is it like oh he's an atheist so we call him preacher like there's none of that it's just like no his name's preacher why i don't know they're just okay. they're just standard young 20 something year old actors to fill a quota i feel yes. you know what i mean um yeah go ahead and, and not only that but the training is just like well you're gonna run up this hill with sandbags okay and and none of the training that they do none of that like, yes it, it, they don't put it to the test. It's not like, well, thank God we did that training because now I can do this thing on this mission that this mission required. Like none of the training applies to what they inevitably do. So like that's another that's another problem. It's like, all right, you're going to climb across this rope and we're going to blow things up and you're going to get wet. And it's like, oh, OK, so they're going to have to do that on the mission, right? No, no. That, that, OK, no. Jacob, that was one of my notes as well. I mean, because this is the bulk of the movie. This is the bulk of the movie is them training the war pigs. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we have Luke Goss and Dolph there running the war pigs through various training drills and exercises. Um, I, I jotted a couple of these down. One of one of the exercises is drawing a nude female as a means yes. Yes, of, of working on their focus and concentration. Okay. They also, like you said, cross a stream of water by way of rope while dodging grenades. Only, like you said, none of these skills ever seem to come in handy in the film's final mission. I mean, I guess, I guess the concentration lesson with you know drawing the nude woman kind of does come in handy later on because it allows the war pigs to focus on the Nazi weapon and draw that. But they could have just been drawing the thing of fruit, and that would have just worked just fine. Well, and and not only that, but the fact that they draw the weapon doesn't come to anything like there's yeah. like, like, like it, it's not like they, they got those drawings back to their superiors and it changed the tide of the war. Yes. They drew the weapons, but it was to know, to know in like nothing happens with those drawings because they get the freaking blueprints. So it's like, well, <laughs> we didn't need to draw them because we literally got the blueprints. Like we have the blueprints. Like we it's didn't, all, need to it's draw all kind them. of a big, yeah, it's all kind of a big so what, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, what was yes. the point of any of that? Yes, um, and I, I mean, I, I honestly like if like if Dolph was not in this movie and if Luke Goss was not in this movie, it would have been a slog because I did enjoy their performances considerably. And and again, let's be fair, this movie, like the actual movie, movie is like eighty minutes long. It gets in, it gets out doesn't waste a lot of time. Yes, there's a lot of training, but it's fairly interesting. And then the actual war stuff is pretty good, all things considered. I was yeah. pleasantly surprised when it was over. I was like, oh, wow, that's, wow, 80 minutes? That's like, that's nothing. That's that's like a long TV show at this point. Like, it didn't waste my time with its length, uh, which I can certainly appreciate because with, with low-budget movies and inexperienced filmmakers, often it's like... 15 to 20 minutes too long. And you're like, man, if you, it, you know, it, it ends up being laborious to sit through. And this wasn't, um, despite the fact that the, that the characters are, are not particularly endearing. As I said, they're just, they're just irritating and petulant and annoying. And, um, but 
the you know Dolphin and, and Luke Goss their their relationship with each other is is uh, is interesting and it's fun watching them drive a tank and shoot <laughs> and uh, you know there's some pretty good blood in the movie as well so I I enjoyed that despite the fact that all the muzzle flares are like CG like it's just a plug in. Um, you know, uh, they can't fire live guns, but you know, they look, the guns look good. They, they weren't like plastic or something as I've seen in other films. So it had that going for it. Good uniforms, I suppose. Well, I mean, if we look at the, the training, uh, exercises they do, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but this is another part that I really had to just kind of question and it was very puzzling. So Dolph's cult character, um, he and Luke Goss, they, they train the men and how to fight an enemy in close quarters combat with a knife, which is kind of a cool scene. I mean, it's, it's wonderful because you get to hear Dolph say, uh, the art of the knife. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. The art of the knife. It's a deadly art. None of you know anything about it. But we some practice can master. We don't need lessons from a frog. <laughs> Are you ready? Get the knife. Go get it, sweetheart. Go get it. Go on. Preacher. Bet you wish you kept your mouth shut. Right, preacher? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> There you go. There it is. There it is. Let's go. Vasily, Vasily. He's really good. Your whole body is a weapon. Preach. There's more to knife fighting than fighting with knives. The legionnaire is shown how to use all his tools as a potential weapon, knife, club, chin up, break. and trenching tool, hands, feet, anything that can kill a man. Foreign legion have a unique way of using the knife. As you can see, Captain Cole here is going to show you a few. Sergeant, you're with the lieutenant. But what's frustrating about it is, okay, he's there, there, there. They're training these guys in close quarters combat where they're going to use a knife. All right, great. All right, so you assume, all right, we're going to see some knife fighting skills. We do later on in the film, only it's Luke Goss's character. And narratively, you sit back and you think, well, we know that he knows how to use a knife because he he was the one, he was the teacher, if you will. He was training the other guys. Only he is using it to rescue the other guys. So it's one of those things where, I mean, we're going to be getting to the final act here in a minute. But the final act is, is kind of lackluster because by the time they do find the, 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 the Nazi super weapon and they take it out, it's kind of like, did they really need to waste all the time training the war pigs going on this mission? I mean, it seems to me like it could have just been, you know, Dolph and Luke Goss take a tank in there, blow it up and, and leave. <laughs> like, what was the hour we just watched? Uh, I agree. I completely agree. When the training began, like when they're like, all right, you're going to be up at 0500 and we're going to do stuff. I thought, oh, okay. So like we're going on the mission now. No, we're going to spend days training you 
but you're this elite squad, but apparently you you complain about walking up a hill uh, and you don't and you don't know how to fight with a knife, even though that one would presume that that would be a part of basic training. Uh, like you don't know how to put a gun together again. I would think that that would be part of basic training. Uh, it's very, very strange. Um, yes, I was expecting the mission to happen far sooner in the film. Uh, also, you know, the, the roads are like nicely paved. Like they try to right. cover it up with, with, with leaves, but I'm like, boy, that sure is a pristine road that in, uh, in, in, in this rural part of Europe. Also, uh, there's a point in the film where they get, they get across enemy lines and they're like, oh man, we have to pull over. We don't want to be bombed by our own planes because, because like the allied planes are flying over. When do you think that they'd be able to see in an, like a, like a gun the size of a skyscraper? Right. Like, right. Well, like, cause they're like, yeah. cause they're like, we don't know if this gun exists. So you got to go find out if this weapon exists and you got to come back and tell us all about it. And it's like, you got guys flying in the air. <laughs> like wouldn't like it's not a small gun. It's huge. It's this enormous super gun. Wouldn't you be able to see it from the air and why can't you like bomb it? Like I like if like if this little squad can get in, I don't know. Like it just seemed strange. Also I felt like the uh that that one well-placed shot. I was like, "Wow, I was really expecting there to be a little bit more of a more of a more more of a struggle like it's just like we got one shot oh we did it hooray like end of the mission yeah end of the mission yeah like like the real mission of the film the real focus of the film is the fact that a couple of the guys in the squad get captured and they have to get them back it almost seems like taking out this mega gun is an afterthought like like the what's at the forefront of their brain is like we have to go get these guys who have been captured like Wouldn't that have been cool? That, yeah, yeah. We, we like have that, to go. Yeah, we have to go get. We have to. Okay, a couple of our men have fallen I behind mean, enemy lines, and they I mean, know that's, our secrets. That's pretty right. Well, and that's that's pretty much what the movie is. But it's like, well, we had this mission, but now we got a new mission because we bungled this mission, and we got our guys captured because we're an elite squad. But gosh darn it, we got caught like almost immediately. Like we ran into one squad of Nazis. And failed. Like, the first bunch of guys we ran into, we failed. Like, really? So, that, that, that was perhaps uh, a little disappointing. But, I don't know. Like, I guess I, I had my expectations set pretty low for this. So, I don't want to act like this is, like, this hidden gem or that people <laughs> should, like... You know, fire up the Tubi right now, man. Just stop listening and just watch this movie. Like, I don't feel that way. I went in thinking that this was going to be like, I don't know, like a like a three out of ten or a four out of ten, and it's a little bit higher than that. So I was pleasantly surprised. Well, what's also a little puzzling is how I mean, look, you already said it, okay? Dolph's Picoult character commandeers a tank. And fires a single shot at the Nazi weapon and destroys it. I mean, just, I mean, there's really no, I mean, granted, his character is shot, uh, supposedly, but it it begs the question, okay, were the war pigs really even needed for this mission? Um, One part that I don't want to gloss over that I I will say is kind of cool, actually. Um, Dolph's character does get an action sequence where he uses a, a shotgun to wreak havoc. 
And it, it's yes. actually a really, it's the scene where he's in the road. And if you watch it, it's, it's really kind of cool how the production does this because I mean, Dolph at this point in his age and when the film was being made, I mean, it's a little difficult for him to run. You know what I mean? Like he's still extremely physically fit, but I mean, you know, he had that hip replacement so he cannot run and move around like he used to. And so the production is, uh, is, is pretty strategic with this. They keep this in consideration. And so if you watch that scene, he's not moving at all in that scene. He's just standing around and all of the guys, all of the attackers are coming to him and he is blasting them away. And I thought that was, you know, okay, that's kind of cool. That works. I've, I've, you know, seen worse before. And also, I mean, there's some, I mean, something else that you said that I I don't want to let go. There's some really kind of gory kills in the, in this movie. The movie could, if it wanted to, I think it could basically be PG-13 if it wasn't for those moments. Also, Mickey Rourke's character drops a few F-bombs, though I'm willing to bet that those were most likely at the at the insistence of Mickey Rourke. You know what I mean? Right. So, He's probably um, like, I'm not, you got one take. This is all you get. I'm doing this once, and then I'm going yeah. home. Yeah. So, I mean, but th- that, that's one scene that I, that I really would like, you know. Um, what's puzzling to me, I wanted to get your opinion on this, but... I don't know if you noticed it like I did. Okay, so they have to go behind enemy lines to get intel on this Nazi super weapon, but then they notice that it's getting ready to fire up and you know and and level a city, I guess. But did you notice how there are never any close up shots of this super weapon? All we see is we kind of see it from afar. And you'd think yes. that maybe we'd get a scene where they go into the base and we see the super weapon and they see the kind of inner workings of it, and how it was made, but we don't get any of that. So it almost leads me to believe that the, that the shots of the super weapon were stock footage that were gathered from other world war two films. I don't know. And maybe I'm completely wrong with that, but it's just very puzzling that we don't get any, any, any close up shots of the super weapon. <laughs> Yeah, of it like moving into position, of it like elevating, like the gun is moving or something. Yeah, no, we don't get that at all. Nor do we get anything from the Nazis' point of view. We don't get like them talking to each other about how like the gun is getting ready or anybody giving orders like we're going to do a test fire or like there's none of that. It's it's just all from our character's perspective and maybe it was like, well, None of us speak German, so we're going to just do it from our perspective. Um, one thing that I really would have liked to have seen in the film, they, they say they, they hop into the tank and they talk to one of the one of the war pigs and they say, can you drive this thing? And he says, well, I, I can drive I can drive a tractor. So I think I can, I think I can do the tank. And there's a funny, there's a sort of funny scene where like he, he doesn't know how to start it because he doesn't know what the German word for starter is. So he asked Dolph, um, what would have been funny and would have given the film a little bit of color would be if the guy operating the tank, like ran over something by mistake or like accidentally went in reverse instead of forward. Like, and he's like trying to figure it out and there's like a comedic moment. And also I was thinking that if they had established that this guy could drive the tank, but that he wasn't particularly good at it. Like, and, and they were nervous about going up to that checkpoint because they had to drive through the checkpoint completely arrow straight. If that tank had moved like at all in any direction, it would have run into something at that checkpoint. And so that could have been like a really good moment of like um, excitement and apprehension for the audience. If they were like, 
if they had established that this guy couldn't, like, he could drive the tank, but that not with a high degree of accuracy. And they were like, they stopped. They're like, oh, no, there's a checkpoint. We have to make it through. Well, then I guess you're going to have to ride, shoot straight and, you know, whatever. And, like, the guy's like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this, fellas, but I'm I'm going to try. Like, instead of it just being, oh, like, it would have added an extra element to that checkpoint other than, like, we have to pass ourselves off as Germans. Like, it would have, like, elevated it up a notch if it was, like, not only do we have to, like, make them think that we're Germans, but I have to operate this tank in a way that makes them think that I actually know what I'm doing when I totally don't. And then there could have been like another moment when they're leaving and he's doing stuff wrong because he's stressed and he's not used to driving the tank. Instead, I don't know how to, I don't know, I'll give it my best shot. And my best shot is like perfect. Yeah. Like, well, you, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a missed opportunity for a little bit of character, a little bit of uh, levity or, and later that levity leading to like a stressful moment. Like, but instead it's just like, I don't know. I, I guess I'll try. Oh, oops. I'm a, I'm an expert tank operator after five minutes. Like that bothered me. I was like, Oh, that's such an opportunity. And they squandered it. Well, I mean, and I highly doubt this film was, was filmed in sequence. You know what I mean? In complete linear sequence uh, from beginning, middle to end. But it's one of those things like we're talking about for it to have such a lackluster ending. It almost feels as if the production was just, darting to the finish line, trying to get everything in the can, and they figured at a certain point, eh, we already got our budget back through foreign sales. Let's just get some kind of semblance of beginning, middle to end, and move on. And I, I hate, I know that's a cynical way of looking at it, and I, I hate saying that, and, um, and I could be completely wrong, but for there to be such buildup with the, the training missions and everything like that, for us to finally be dumped you know, in no man's land, if you will. I don't know if they're in a no man's land, but for them to be dumped in, in uh, behind enemy lines and for the mission to be as easy as it yes. is, you wonder, yes. like, what was the point of anything? <laughs> yes, it's a bit deflating. I agree. It makes you wonder if the film was perhaps supposed to be longer or if they did change the script in order to make it a little bit easier to complete it. And you're right. A half-done movie is worthless, and a movie that makes no sense is worthless. Uh, so the fact that they were able – I mean, who knows what the budget on this thing is. Honestly, it was probably higher than you and I would probably both guess, and yet it's probably still very paltry. However, like getting a film that gets the job done in 80 minutes, it makes sense. It's cohesive, and uh, it's not boring. I wasn't bored by it. It wasn't the height of excitement, but, you know, with watching the movies that I've watched for all of my books, there are some deathly boring movies that I've sat through where I've just been like, oh, my gosh, this is like the most boring thing I have ever like painful, painful film to watch. Uh, the, the one that comes to my mind is a uh, it's a Vietnam era movie, which has a great premise. OK, so you're in Vietnam and there's a vampire and that's just like enough. Like it's like a vampire in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Whole man, I they're they're gonna have to fight Dracula. Like I am sold. That sounds like stupid and fun and great. And it is one of the most boring movies I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> like it, it's like it's part of like top five worst group watches I've ever 
forced my friends to sit through it. I still feel bad about it. And it was directed by a director who's bona fide, who's who had like a wonderful direct video career, super boring, awful. So I have to give again, it's faint praise, and I know it's faint praise, but the fact that this movie is engaging enough to have held my attention for 80 minutes. It gets in, it gets out, it delivers exactly what it promised. There's no bait and switch. It really, it's, it says it's a man on a mission movie. It is a man on a mission movie. There's Nazis getting shot and Dolph Lundgren is in the whole runtime. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's no, there's no tricking trickery or anything. Um, it, it, you know, like uh, his other film, uh, Shark Lake, uh, he's barely in. He's not in it much. He's really not in it much. Um, it, it's actually a, it's an okay movie. I enjoyed it uh, for what it was, but like he's not in it much. I was disappointed. I was not disappointed by the by the amount of Dolph in the movie, and it does have a fair amount of action. It's not just endless talking and you know. I don't know, side plots about emotions and relationships and melodrama, which can fill, uh, it, surprisingly, even a film like this, uh, it, it delivers exactly what you signed up for. It's just slight. It's just, you know, it, it's like a, I don't know, it, it, it's like a Honda Civic. It gets the job done. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not exciting. It's not, it's not, it's not exciting. You know, like a, like a mid nineties Honda Civic. It's not exciting to drive. It's very bare bones, but it gets you there reliably. So, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the nineties grandma Honda Civic of World War II movies, uh, which is I, okay with me. I like your analogy <clears throat> actually better than the one that I was going to provide. But I guess before I get to my recommend, I'm curious. Would this would this particular film be, you know, does does it kind of fit your criteria, and would it be in a volume of uh, uh, of awful uh, excuse me of awful awesome of the action uh, uh, no series no so it, it's not no. as awful no. okay no okay. no no I would say that it is too competent and it is um, too. <sighs> Uh, like bland, like it doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have a lot of personality. It doesn't have a lot of flourish. It doesn't have a lot of style. And again, you're right. This is probably shot super fast, low budget. Let's get in. Let's get out. I'm not blaming the director at all. The director turned in a competent, well acted, uh, film that that kept my attention for 80 minutes. I'm not hating on this movie. I don't love it. I wouldn't watch it again. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> recommend it to anybody except for someone like you who's a Dolph completist. But I'm not mad that I watched it. I wasn't like, wow, that was a total waste of my life. I'm so I'm so mad at this dang podcast for making me watch this movie. I don't feel that way. But no, it would not it would not enter into uh one of my books. In fact, I don't really think I've re- reviewed any of Dolph's stuff cuz his stuff is like generally it's it's too well done right like it's too it's it's none of it none of come on none, none of none of it is uh, uh none of it is like my like a uh, hard ticket hawaii you know none, none of it yeah. is like that level of like bombacity and ridiculousness and over the top or or uh as as like um 
poorly put together or as amateurish as something like Samurai Cop. Like it's not, no, I, I would not review it for one of my books um, unless to just say what I've already said, that it's not worth watching with friends for that purpose. I feel like this is a movie that you could watch with like, like, like we could watch with like, uh, with our, our parents, you know, like yeah. our dads, our uncles, like our it's that kind, you know, <laughs> right? It's that kind of movie, and then you know, you could kind of like make fun of it a little bit, and it would be like just a fine, like little time waster. But would I watch this? Would I bother to watch this with my friends? No. Would I watch other Dolph movies with my friends? Oh, you bet I would. Yes, and have I watched? I come in peace. I love that movie. Matthias Hughes, come on, so good. Um, yeah. Adolf definitely has films in his, in his, uh, oeuvre, uh, that, uh, that are super fun group watches, but this is not one of them. Well, I really liked your, your analogy about the Honda Civic because mine is pretty, pretty similar to that. Actually, in my opinion, I think this film is the equivalent of bottled water. Okay. Like I said, it's, it's hard is in the right place. And it's clear that everybody on set from the actors to the director to the production crew, everyone is really, really trying. And yes, it doesn't have much to work with, but it's also maximizing everything that it is working with, which I think is very, very refreshing. And, and that's how I feel about bottled water, okay? Bottled water, it's not the world's greatest beverage, okay? But if there's nothing else around, then yeah, bottled water does the trick. It gets you out of a jam and it's serviceable. And that's one of the best things I can say about this film. Yeah, it's a little cheesy. It's nowhere near on the level of Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or uh, Kelly's Heroes, any of those. But it's a fun version of one of those with maybe a fraction of the resources of uh, one of those, you know, big, big budget blockbusters. As for Dolph, I think Despite his accent wavering and going all over the place, I think he does a fine job. His hair is slickly combed. He has a commanding uniform. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And so I think yeah. that's very fun to see. It also makes you long for wanting to see him in one of those bigger tier World War II films, like I just mentioned. Um, considering that that's most likely never going to happen, I think this is a decent time waster that, like that bottle of water, is going to clean the palate and give you something to do until something better comes along. So you and I are right in line with one another. So, right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if, if this movie was a color, it would be, it would be beige. It would be like, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay. It looks all right on a car. It looks all right on a house, but it's not going to turn anyone's head. No one knows. going to be right. like, Ooh, look at that. Look at that beige car. Like, eh. Now, if this director, did another movie with Dolph, which he I did. Would be, I would be okay. So see, I would be like modestly interested. I'd be like, huh, yeah. you know that, you know, war pigs was okay. I would watch another provided that it wasn't another world war two movie, because it really is challenging. Cause it's like, dude, you, you have like almost no money and it's really hard not to compare it to a mega budget giant movie. I feel like if this director were to make a movie with Dolph, that was more on the level of most direct video movies where it was like about an assassin or a detective or a tournament. Yeah. Fight mm-hmm. a clan, clandestine, clandestine, uh, uh, fighting tournament on an Island or something, something that's definitely, okay. We can work with this budget 
for this scale of a movie, I would I would watch another one from from this director because he was able to turn in something competent, which was probably if we really knew the truth behind the making of this was probably a miracle. Like it yeah, was probably yeah. like fifty. And, and to anybody listening to this, if you've never tried to make a movie, it is crazy, stupid hard. It is mind-numbingly, unbelievably, just crushingly difficult. I, I I've never made a feature-length film. I've made short films. And it even just doing a short film is really hard. Uh, so so to and then to deal with all the egos and like oh my gosh like I'm I'm betting that this guy deserves an award just for getting the dang thing done. Most definitely, yeah. I mean, and we do have to mention. I know we're we're wrapping up, but we do have to mention. Apparently, uh, Mr. Mr. Lundgren and Stephen Luke. Um, this had to be a pleasurable experience for both of them because I guess they've established a relationship with one another. And over the past year, Dolph actually has two films in the can that he, uh, that he did with uh, Stephen Luke that uh, Stephen Luke not only wrote, but he also directed. Uh, One is called operation Seawolf where Dolph plays a, uh, a, a German U-boat commander, I guess. Oh Um, no. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no. No. And the other is called Come Out Fighting. And in that one, Dolph has a supporting role. Um, and he plays, I think he plays another training uh, instructor, drill sergeant of some kind. But both of those are um, set during World War II. So, yes, uh, <laughs> Dolph has not left the, uh, the the era of World War II behind. He, he has a couple. And I guess those are going to be coming out, I think, Operation Seawolf is going to be coming out near the end of this year, and then Come Out Fighting is going to be in early 2023. So still, I mean, if you still think more about it, Dolph would have grown up watching World War II movies, and I'm sure a lot of actors would like jump at the chance. It's like, oh, I get to put on a uniform. It, it's like it's like also being able to be a cowboy. It's like, oh my gosh, I get to put on the cowboy hat and have the revolver. Like if you're an actor. That's probably like catnip. You're just like, wow, this is going to be so much fun. I've always wanted to do that. This is providing an opportunity. He's done a lot of other types of films. I could totally understand why. I just, I really, really hope he works on that accent for the U-boat. Like, come on, man. Like, let's let's just not have an accent. Maybe we can drop it. I guess we'll see. You know, I, 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 and I, and again, I really think that the, the people that work within this, Within this, within this level of budget, you know, like someone like uh, Isaac Florentine used to do like really good stuff, and um, uh, Jesse V. Johnson, who does a lot of the Scott Adkins movies, it really takes a very specific skill set to be able to crank out an action movie fast and cheap because they take forever to film. You know, shooting yeah. action sequences is very time consuming. Shooting dialogue can be time consuming if 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 your actors aren't prepared, but it's not, it's nothing like shooting action. I mean, the next time you watch an action movie, uh, mute it and count how many cuts there are. Every single time there's a cut, the camera had to be picked up and moved and picked up and moved. And lighting may have needed to be moved. Like it takes forever to shoot, uh, to shoot a well done action sequence. It takes a very long time. And so the, the directors that can get these things done on these budgets competently um, reliably and on on time and on budget, they are like ninjas. They they really do have a very specific skill set that I have a lot of respect for. Um, uh, I really I've really enjoyed a lot of the Scott Atkins movies and and 
the movie that, like I said, Castle Falls, that, that Dolph did with Scott Adkins, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And again, it this is not easy, like, at all. Like, I, like Dolph had to act in it and direct it, so it's very impressive. That one in particular was, was quite impressive, considering all things considered. Like, it's really hard to compare these films to a mega-budget movie where money isn't really an issue, um, and time isn't really as much of an issue where you, you kind of have what you need and it's just a matter of executing. Um, when you have like an incredibly small crew and everyone's wearing different hats, like everyone's having to do two or three jobs instead of one dedicated job, you got to hand it to him for being able to just get the dang thing done and, and frankly not turn it in an embarrassing mess, which this is, no. this is not, an, it's not yeah. an embarrassing mess. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I think that kind of helps explain why Dolph came back to do these subsequent films is because, look, he, he's, he's an actor. He's a professional. He sees the writing on the wall and he sees how many of these films do turn out bad. And so I'd like to think that he's a professional who's looking at this and thinking, you know what, if, if I'm going to be kind of existing in this low budget realm well, you know, you know what? I'm going to work in productions that I know are going to, unless I can take over the reins and I can direct them myself, like he did with Castle Falls. He has another one that's going to be coming out called Wanted Man. But if he's not going to be the guy directing, then I think it's, you know, it's pro- it's got to be pretty comforting for him to walk into a set knowing that it's in good hands. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Knowing, okay, this guy's not going to, he's not going to embarrass me. Um, he's going to get it done. We are going to have a final product, um, which is not necessarily always a guarantee. I'm sure there have been films that Dolph has worked on over the years that have never come out, that have never been released because uh, the person trying to get it done did not have the skills, did not know what they were doing and just simply didn't get it done. And uh, this is, Far and away, have you have you gotten to uh, Welcome to Willits yet? Have you watched that one? That that no, movie? I have not watched uh, it yet because I know that he has a cameo in it, and it is barely a cameo even. So I have not I, had the pleasure. I tried watching it when it came out because Dolph was in it. Because Willits is in California, it's far, far away from where I live, but I'm I'm familiar. I know I know of it, and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I, it did not finish. And let me tell you, I, I've literally written books, as you know, on garbage films, did not finish. Uh, really, really bad. So, you know, uh, I, I got I got to hand it to, to this director for being able to turn in something that uh, that got done. It's competent. It makes sense. I know. I know that, again, sounds like faint praise, but well, it's a lot can't. harder. It. It's a lot harder than you think it is. You can't go wrong with bottled water and a Honda Civic. I think <laughs> that's right. So we can come back to. Um, that's right. Well, this has been. Thank you, Jacob. I gotta hand it out to you, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I had a ton of fun. I would love to have you back on um, if there's any films coming up, or if I'm in a bind or anything like that. You know, um, I, I'd love to have you back on. So uh, thank you yes, so much uh, for, for for taking the time to watch this one and come on, man. 
Yes, ironic. Oh yeah, and I appreciate you inviting me. Ironically, it's probably easier for me to do a podcast uh, during the school year while I'm teaching than it is during summer, which is bizarre because you would think I would have all the time in the world over summer, but that's when the schedule goes out the window and then everything gets all chaotic. During the school year, I know exactly what to expect on any given day, so it's actually quite easy for me to schedule doing a podcast uh, on a, on a during during the school year. So yes, any, anything coming up if you. If you've got somebody who, if you if you got a real stinker that nobody wants to wants to jump on that grenade, uh, I might I might be willing to jump on that grenade. Um, if there's one that you're like, man, I can't get anyone to cover this one with me, uh, I might I might be willing to. I might be the person uh, who who'd be willing to give it a shot. I appreciate that, man. Well, before before I let you go, um, I know we talked uh, about your awful awesome books. Those can be purchased. On, I'm, I'm going to include a link, uh, obviously, in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, you can purchase those on Amazon at Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble is actually where I picked up my copy. I'm going to be looking at uh, getting the other copies as well. But uh, And then you have a couple more that uh, are in the can waiting to be published, right? Yes. Yeah, I have Awful Awesome Sci-Fi Volume 2, which is all sci-fi movies. And not sci-fi from, like, the Sci-Fi Channel, although I do cover some of those. Um, but just science fiction. And then I have Awful Awesome Action Volume 2 that's also ready. I don't like to publish them too close together because I feel like people need a break. And, uh, you know, if I put them out too fast, then uh, it kind of oversaturates the market. So I, I've, I've got those. They're in the can. They're ready to go. All the the, the art that my buddy uh, Dale Dale Compton did for me, that's, they're all ready. I need to do like a little bit of editing on my end, but um, those those ones are ready. And I believe the next one I'm going to publish will be Action Volume 2, and then I'll probably follow that up with uh, Sci-Fi Volume 2. But, yeah, they, they are all available on Amazon. Uh, they're 15 bucks. They each have over a hundred reviews in each. And, uh, you know, they're, they're there to help you host a really fun movie night with your friends that you won't forget. You'll have a blast. Uh, and they'll, they'll be dying for the next one and you'll know which ones to grab. So you don't make the mistakes that I've made with showing really, really, uh, either inappropriate offensive movies or showing, uh, really, really boring, uh, movies that uh, had my friends falling asleep. Uh, you can avoid all that. You can just go straight to the good and they'll be like, my gosh, every single time we come over, we have such a good time and you always find the best movies and you don't have to tell them that you read about them in my book. You can just make them think that you're just so gosh darn good at picking movies. So, Well, thank you. Well, like I said, this has been an absolute treat and uh, Jacob, we'll, uh, we'll talk again for, uh, for another cinematic classic that, uh, uh, has yet to be recorded or watched by us. Yeah, I mean, you still got a lot more to go. You know, you're you're rounding the bases, but you still got a lot more to go. There's a lot of Dolph yet yet to be covered. There's a lot of there's a lot. There's, he just keeps cranking them out. Well, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break this podcast.